go. We're jumping into the message. We are going to be mainly in the book of Mark today, um, and we're going to uh, look at a verse in Mark 12, if you want to look, turn there, and then also going to close it up with a little passage in Mark chapter 4 that I read last week, but I'm going to dive a little deeper into it. Okay, so just a reminder as I am um, starting to preach, my goal for these times for our church is to be thinking over these next 30-ish minutes less about, quote-unquote, how good the message is, but I really want you to turn your heart's attention, your mind's attention to what is God speaking to you? Because anytime we approach his word, I just believe God wants to speak something to us, do something in us, reveal something to us, and especially it's, it's difficult when you're in a new setting because you're like soaking it all in and kind of like evaluating it, but just for the next 30 minutes, if you could try, by the grace of God, not to do that, but turn your focus and attention on, God, what are you speaking to me today? What do you want to do in me today? That is our heart here. So last week, I just finished up a series that I called Disciple. Everybody say Disciple. So we talked about what does it mean to be a disciple, but also we looked at the call of Jesus from the Great Commission to go and make disciples. Okay? And we, um, we looked at Mark chapter 4, which is how I'll close this morning. And it's an interesting passage about, in a sense, what God desires from us, which simply is a lot of great fruit, but there are things that get in the way of good fruit in our life. And let me just ask a simple question. You can raise your hand. How many of you guys want to see a lot of good fruit in your life? Raise your hand if that's true. Okay, hopefully it's true for us in our hearts. Man, we want to see some good fruit. Okay, but there are plenty of things that get in the way of that fruit, and we looked at Mark 4 and talked about if you want to be a disciple of Jesus that bears good fruit, you got to be really good at three things. Anybody remember what those three things were? Bird hunting. Bird hunting. Yep. I, yep, they said that. Gardening and eating fruit. Okay, read Mark chapter 4 for context, all right? So some of you that do duck hunting, you're like, yeah, I like this church. Okay, but we, we uh, read, just read Mark 4. I'm serious. I'm not going to recap it. Okay, but today... Um, as I was thinking about the great, the great Commission, Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then this little phrase where he says, and teach them to obey all my commands. Now, if you want to find the commands of the Lord, where can we turn? The Word of God. But God knows that we need it even more simple, and he gave us the first and greatest commandment. Is anybody thankful that God kind of even summarized it a little bit more? You know, there's a lot of commands in Scripture. Remember? God's commands are not burdensome, okay? When, when God says, hey, this is a better way to do things, we should say, thanks, God, for telling us, <laughs> and then go ahead and follow through. His commands are not burdensome. But he, had, he summarized this and gave us the first and greatest commandment. So in thinking about being a disciple, we want to obey his commands, then I thought it would be a great idea. Let's dive deep into the first and greatest commandment over the next several weeks to kind of have a deep dive of what is the Lord actually wanting and desiring from us, all right? And so this morning, we're starting a new series. I'm, I'm titling it All, A-L-L. -L. Everybody say All. All. Okay, and there's lots of different elements of this All. We're going to start with the greatest commandment, which is Mark 12. We're about to read it, and then we're going to go into Ephesians 4 because um, when Jesus was asked, hey, what's the greatest commandment? He actually didn't give us just one. He gave us two. Isn't that interesting? They said, hey, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus gave us two. One is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the other is like it to love your neighbor as yourself. But we're going to look at Ephesians 4 because that talks about loving others with all. Everybody say all. 
all humility, all gentleness. And it goes on to have a whole bunch of other phrases with the word all in it. And then we'll wrap it up right towards in several weeks from now, right when World Mandate's happening, and we'll retouch on the Great Commission that also has the word all. Go and make disciples of all nations, all right? But for the next few weeks, we're going to focus on the great first and greatest commandment, which is found in Mark chapter 12. Let me read it for us. It'll be on the screen. Mark chapter 12, verse 30. And again, there's a guy that comes up to Jesus and says, hey, what's the most important? What's the greatest commandment of all? And here is the Lord Jesus' response. Verse 30, Mark 12. It says, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. He continues to say, the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So the first and greatest commandment. Now, guys, when Jesus emphasizes something as the first and the greatest, my takeaway is let me pay attention because I think he cares about that. And we in this culture that we're in right now, we see a lot of excitement and motivation about going out and serving others and loving others and doing good works. And I want to say that this is that is totally on God's heart. But what he really wants first is for our hearts to be burning for him and for all of our service to others, all of our love to others, all of our care and our acts and our willingness to go to the nations to flow out of a vibrant, loving relationship with the Lord. And we kind of as a as believers, I fall in this as, in this trap as well as believers, because that first and greatest commandment is so, I guess, easy to remember and some of the words could be general, like love God. Yeah, I love God. Yeah, I love God. We kind of skim over it and just rush to the things that are easier to be seen on the outside. When God is looking at our hearts and he's looking for hearts that burn with love for him. And I want, as we are starting this series, to invite you in to a greater depth of what could it look like for me to actually live out the greatest commandment where I don't just say I love God, and I'm preaching to myself first. I don't want to just say I love God. I don't want to just look like I love God. But when God examines the inside of me, I want him to see a heart that's burning with life, with love, with fire. And listen, I don't care what any of you think about me and what you think's going on inside of me. What I care most about is when God looks at me, what does he see? Because it is easy to like look at preachers and look at people leading and see their passion, their excitement, and I, I get excited about things, to think that everything's great. But listen, y'all, I am returning to this, and I want my heart burning again. And I just want to invite you guys into this journey of let's be a people that take the first commandment very seriously and actually dive deep into it, not skim it over. But dive deep into it and see what the Lord actually is saying to us. Now, I'm going to show you a couple words with Greek today. But before I do that, let me go to that word all, the title of this series. You're going to be blown away by this. But the Greek word for all, you know what it means? All. <laughs> it, means it means everything. It means total. It means everything. So when we talk about loving God with all of our heart, literally he means Give me everything. Don't hold anything back. And here's the deal, y'all. You and I, we were made to give it all. We were made for wholeheartedness. Your all or your wholeheartedness, it comes out. Listen, I see you guys. I mean, some of you, this Saturday, the Razorback football game, 
you're going to go all out. You're going to look so dumb. But you're like, you're in it. You're just, you're in it. You're just, yes, race, woo, woo, pig. I don't even know what that means. But yeah. You know, it's like you're going you're gonna to let it come out. Some of you guys, you let your all, your wholeheartedness come out with music, okay, or your yard. <laughs> I'm just passionate about getting those weeds out of my yard. I'm going to do whatever I can to make sure that happens. I'm going to give my money to it. I'm going to sell all my possessions to get those weeds out of my yard. Okay, your, your, <laughs> your business, your ministry, your family, your relationships, like the awe or the wholeheartedness comes out in all of us in certain things. Some of you are just super passionate about coffee. It's like, listen, it's fine as long as those passions are secondary to the greatest commandment. We... I don't know what to say, guys, but it does make me just want to just pause and just weep. It's like, why do we care so much about looking like a fool in God's presence? It, he wants our heart. And we come into these settings sometimes, and I do it too because I care about you having a good experience here. But it's like, I don't want to care that much. I want to express my love and my joy and my passion. And I want him to be the joy and passion of my heart. Not just like coming to a setting like this, look, thinking about what I'm wearing and just looking around, wondering if anybody sees me. God, you can have my heart. You can have everything. Have my passion. I want to be willing to, to go there with God because I just don't want us to be a people that miss out. In our culture, it is not cool to give God everything. It is easier to be complacent. It is easier to be dull in your relationship with God. It is easier to go through motions. But Lord, Lord, not here in this house. And, I, and no matter if you land here or not, just, just settle in your heart that, that no. <laughs> I don't care what anybody thinks about me. I don't care how cool or not cool it is. I'm going to give God everything. This is what he wants. He made it so clear in his word. This is what he's after. And we want to be a people that say, yes, Lord, I'll give you what you want. When we think about giving God everything, again, don't think first about external, like, Okay, am I giving God everything because I'm doing this and this and this for God? Or I'm giving him everything because I'm like literally bringing, bringing physical gifts. It's like, no, 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 no. Just first think, is my heart moved with love and joy and excitement and passion and fervor for the Lord? Because what he wants more than anything we can do for him is he wants our hearts burning. And I just want to be around the people that say yes to this. What if, what if? The greatest dream of your life, goal of your life. All of you have goals. All of you have desires. All of you picture something good, hopefully in the future. What if the biggest dream of your life was living out the greatest commandment? What would you lose? More than whatever job you're going to get, more than whatever how much finances you get, more than where you live, more than if you get married or not, more than anything else. What if your number one dream and desire of your life was, I'm going to live this out? Because the reality is you can, no matter what your circumstances are, no matter what the Lord gives you or doesn't give you, you can actually live this out. But it, it comes from just like, Lord, help me. And I want to I encourage us as a church, let's, we're weak in this. We, we stumble, but let's at least set our heart in a direction where this is going to be my aim. This is going to be what I'm after. I am not going to define success the way the world defines success. I'm not going to define success the way I was taught to define success. Uh, success is receiving God's love and loving him back. 
in any season of your life. So let's talk a little deeper about love. I got, some, like I told you, promised some Greek for you. So here we are. So love, it's such a general term, but because we often say things like, man, I love Chipotle, or man, I love Resbats, or I love <laughs> my yard, or I love whatever. You know, but you also, in the same way, you say, I love God. It's like, well, let's, let's talk a little bit more about what this looks like. So there's a slide that has a couple uh, Greek words on it. So one, to love, in the Greek, in this passage is agapeo, I think is the way to say it. And it means to welcome, to entertain, to be fond of, or to love deeply. It's like a cherishing and enjoying an affectionate, vibrant, and passionate type of love. Not a general and definitely not a dull or stoic type of love. It has like vibrancy to it. You guys tracking with me? So when the scriptures say to love God with all of our heart, think about, think about that. Now let, I'm going to take us all on a little tangent, but it's purposeful, okay? So follow my little bunny trail because this really matters a lot. When this series, I'm going to focus on us loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, strength. This morning, I'm going to focus on heart in just a second. But I just want to be careful about something. It's not just us to him. It's not just about us doing things or presenting things like for God. Our relationship with the Lord and the gospel is actually much more about him to us. And over the years, I've realized I've gotten, I've tripped up on this because I just assume we all know that second part, him to us. But no, 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 we actually need to be reminded of this. I don't want us to fall into the trap of, okay, I'm constantly thinking, am I doing enough for him? Am I doing enough for him? Am, am I enough for him? Whoa, 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 hold on, hold on. Woo, nope. <laughs> I want you to be so consumed with God to us. Because if we, if we only start here and stay here, you're going to realize how short you fall. Always. <laughs> But when we consume ourselves with, oh my gosh, you came to earth so that I could be saved, freed, delivered, washed clean. Oh my gosh. It doesn't, and it's not just one act of Jesus coming and dying and resurrecting. But today, guys, yes, we here, we're here. We came for him. We're pouring out love. But do you know how much God wants to just pour out his love on you? And when he looks at you right now, He's looking at you with eyes of love and tenderness and joy and excitement, and he's glad you're here. When we receive that, it changes something on the inside of us. And I just want you to, I want you to think about this easy example for today, that God loves you. Look at your neighbor. Say, God loves you. Listen. If I'm going to talk at all about loving God back, 1 John 4.19 makes it clear we love because he first loved us. Listen, y'all. God loving you, or the phrase, the truth, God loves me, that is probably the easiest biblical truth to recite, but it's probably one of the hardest to actually receive. Because we, we know how messy we are. We know how weak we are. We sin. Does anybody else in here sin? You didn't say yes. You just laughed. All right. (laughs) 
but God, he loves you. And his love for you, remember that definition, is it's not dull. It's not dry. It's not an obligatory love. It's not a stoic love. God's love is vibrant. It's passionate. It's warm. It's affectionate. It's, it's the, he delights in us. Yes, he sees all of our junk. Yes, we need to repent of our sin. Yes. But he does not primarily relate to you and me based on our weaknesses, sin, and shortcomings. He primarily relates to you as a beloved daughter or a beloved son. I just think about my children often. I got four kids, and I'm such an imperfect dad. But genuinely, 90% of the time in the morning when I see them for the first time, I am filled with joy. Like, I don't care what you did yesterday. I don't care if you woke me up in the middle of the night for three weeks in a row, like where I'm at right now. But like when they, and then they come in here to church, and some of them I hadn't seen in the morning, and they just run to me. I'm like, I love you. I love you. I'm not, Arabella, you woke me up again for the 21st day in a row. <laughs> I love you, but listen, hold on. That's what we think God does to us. And I'm an imperfect dad, very. But so, so if I can express that of joy, excitement, delight to see how much more when we come before God, he is not first trying to give you the list of all the things you did wrong today or yesterday or last week. But he says, come on in. I love you. I welcome you. I'm fond of you. I'm delighted in you. And just, I think I have another example with Arabella. I'm just picking on her today. But she's my now five-year-old. But when she was two and a half or three, I used to do this thing with her every night, and it hit me like, oh, my gosh, does God do this with me, or would he feel this way for me? But tucking her in, I would whisper a couple things to her and just being sweet, and I said something, hey, Arabella, i got to tell you something. And I get close to her ear, and I say, I love you. And then she would kind of grab my face and say, Daddy, I need to tell you something. And she gets my ear, I love you too. It's like, yes, this is awesome. I love being a dad. This is the only thing that parenting is all about. You know, by the way, you know, it's just only these moments. Okay. Okay, the parents over here know. <laughs> Keep dreaming, college students. It's, it's harder than that. But then I would also say, I would say, hey, everybody, i got to tell you one more thing. And I'd get her ear and say, I'm so glad you're my daughter. And she would look at me, grab my face, say, Daddy, and tell you something. And she would get in my ear and she'd be like, Daddy, I'm so glad you're my daughter. <laughs> and I was like, uh, okay, hey, close enough. I'll take that. Oh, uh, just... Such sweet moments, but I'm just thinking of, man, the number one way that Jesus revealed God to us was Father. Very clear throughout the Gospels, the number one way that God, now listen, all of us had imperfect fathers. Some of us had really hard relationships with our fathers, and I think this is so crucial. If we want to move forward with this, if you want to move forward in your relationship with God, you need to receive God's perfect love for you. Because it will forever be a clog in your relationship with him if you view your father like your, your, your heavenly father like your earthly father. But those little moments, what if, right as you're laying down for bed or right when you wake up, what if God the father, his first thing was, hey, I got to tell you something. I love you so much. Hey, I got to tell you something. I'm so glad you're my son. I'm so glad you're my daughter. Man, that would be amazing. And let me put this on the screen as I want this to stick with you guys. If we're going to talk about loving God back, there is no way 
to sustain a vibrant love for God without consistently receiving his vibrant love for you. Some of you, you're like, you know, you're army men in the spirit. It's like you can get on the grind. You can go hard. You can discipline yourself. You can, you know, it's like, oh, I'm not letting anything get in my way. Oh, I love God so much. Yeah, I love you, God. I love you. I love you. <laughs> and some of you can make it pretty far. But there is no way to sustain that over time. You will burn yourself out if you're not constantly receiving God's amazing, warm, affectionate, vibrant love for you. I think that is a worthy tangent as we're going to continue to talk about loving God with all of our heart. We must be good at receiving his love for us. He loves you guys. Look at your neighbor one more time. Say, he loves you. Now, over the next couple of weeks, I'll remind us that, you know, God's love for us and us loving him back. You know, it's always followed through. A genuine love is always followed through with obedience. Okay, I'll talk a little bit more about that later, but we need to first receive his love. All right, let's talk about the heart for a minute. Okay, the Greek word here is because I'm breaking down these four different aspects, heart, soul, mind, strength, over the next few weeks. Now, they interconnect, okay, but there are some distinction between them. So with the heart, the Greek word there is cardia, which denotes the center of all physical and spiritual life, and it's the fountain and seat of thoughts, passions, desires, appetites, affections, purposes, endeavors, emotions, and feelings. Now, the Bible says a lot of things about our heart. Okay, there's some interesting and pretty uh, scary verses about, wow, from the heart flows all sorts of wickedness. But I, I want to focus on a couple different verses about hearts. One's in 1 Samuel 16, 7. I'm not sure if I have it or not on the screen, but some of y'all remember this. This is when Samuel is anointing David as king, and David's dad brings all his other sons up to Samuel the prophet, and they all look more the part but Samuel, one by one, says, nope, 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 nope. And this is right after, or pretty recently after Saul, who was really tall and just looked like the, the great leader, just strong dude. You know, he was already the king, but he gets to the end of all these sons. Says, this, these are not the kings. And so and David's dad calls him forward. And then the Lord speaks to Samuel and says, this is the king. But there's this little verse in 1 Samuel 16, 7, where the Lord's speaking. He says, hey. I don't look and see the things that man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Keep that up there just for a second. Listen, guys, I don't think there is a more relevant verse to kind of our social media culture in this generation. We care so much about our appearance but this is what God cares about. He doesn't see any of that. So if you dress super cool or if you dress super nerdy, if you're this, you like this or you like that, you post this, the Lord is looking at your heart. And that's really freeing to me because I don't have to try to be the most impressive, talented, gifted, or best looking, but simply I want to be one that gives them all my heart. And any of us can do that. Which leads me, again, I've, mul I've said it multiple times already, what kind of heart is he looking for? <laughs> Let me show you this picture because I love this. This is, I think, like similar to a picture on an album, or I'm not sure exactly what they, what they, this is the heart he's looking, and this is an emoji, I don't know. Here's the type of heart he's looking for, a heart on fire, a heart burning with love for him. It reminds me of Luke 24, 32, this verse of two disciples walking with Jesus after he was resurrected. And here's their conclusion after that little conversation with Jesus. 
Did our hearts not burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened up the scriptures to us? Did our hearts not burn within us? Man, I want that to be true in this room. Man, that we have hearts that are burning. I literally looked up that word burn in the Greek, and it, it literally means like it's a heart set ablaze, consumed with the fire of God, like you're feeling passion and desire for him. And one more verse I want to show you about the heart before I keep going here is Proverbs chapter 4, 23. Some of y'all will be really familiar with this. It says, guard your heart with all what? Diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Keep that up there just for a second. So if we're going to talk about loving God with all of our heart, we have to remember that the scriptures teach us to guard our heart with diligence, with focus, with intentionality, because out of it flows the life that God wants to see. Another way to say that is there are countless things that will try to get in the way or try to put that fire out in our hearts, and we want to be diligent to make sure those things are not creeping in. Is this making sense? Now, as promised last week, I'm going to close it up by looking at Mark chapter 4, so you can turn there. I read this, the parable of the four different soils, and there's the rocky there's the um, seed that falls on the path, there's the rocky ground, there's the thorns, and then there's the good soil. Okay, raise your hand if you were here last week. Just help me, because I want to know how many of you were here and how much of a recap I need to give. Okay, so a little over half of you guys were here last week. Okay, it's a great passage. I would highly encourage you, look at Mark chapter 4. Jesus even said, hey, this is like the most important parable. Uh, so, so read that, but I'm going to focus in on the thorns because I think that this, these are particularly the things that try to choke out the good fruit that God wants to see in our heart, or these are the things that try to get in the way of the fire, the love, the vibrancy that the Lord desires. All right, first, let me read Mark chapter 4, 18 through 20. This gives you the description of uh, the thorns, and I'm going to have Larry coming up here and help me with a little illustration here. All right, here we go, Mark 4, 18 through 20. It says, and others are those who sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those um, that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. Okay, did you guys see those three things that are, represent the thorns? Yes? So the first one was what? The cares of the world second one is deceitfulness of riches and the third desires for other things okay larry's going to come on up here and help me and um he he made some thorns for me and i want to show you a little bit of a, a description or a picture of this okay because i have a couple points i want to make sure you guys don't miss when it comes to these thorns all right all right so hey you stand right up here larry you hold this this right here guys larry made it Apparently it took him like, well, yeah, give it up for Larry. Took him hours. Took him so long. He literally made it this morning on his way, pretty much in your truck on the way. Anyways, this is a thorn, okay? And he's going to hold it. And how many of you guys, go ahead, just, just pretend like you're about to. How many of you guys would love to be poked by this? Anybody? Go ahead, give me. Give me. No, 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 just kidding. <laughs> All right. Now, now, this is a point I want to make sure you guys get. When you read a passage like this, you see thorns, you realize it's trying to choke out good fruit in your life. Most of us would look at something like a thorn and say, no, I don't want that to poke me. Yes, most of you, hopefully all of you. <laughs> but I'm sure there's one person that's like, poke me. Yeah. <laughs> all right. But I want you to understand something. 
especially the way these thorns are described, they don't, they don't look like this. Okay? Here's what they look like. Hold this right there. Okay? I, all I see from my angle is a pillow. It looks really cozy. It looks comfortable. Actually, come on. Just, oh, this is just wonderfully cozy. But what I don't know on the other side of this comfort is that, whoop, you know, a thorn. All right. Woo. Here's the point. Oftentimes, thorns, the things that choke out word, are disguised in things that look really comfortable to us, appealing to us. Okay? Now, he's got um, another thorn here that represents the cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, and desire for other things. Everybody look at these. Hold up. Hold up, Larry. Almost everybody see. Here we go. Everybody see? Your face? One more time. Yeah, there you go. There you go. All right. Why don't you, can you put it anywhere? No, that's all right. You can go sit down, Larry. <laughs> oh, he's going to try. Look, this is what he does. It's in his truck, just sawing things. <laughs> Man, what a handy guy to have around. All right, let's break these down for a minute. Cares of this world. I intentionally put a little phone on that. What I mean by the cares of this world are the worries, the pressures, the anxieties of the world. The same things the world cares so much about, has so much anxiety and pressure about, it's caring about those things. But you know what else I think it means, or one way to look at it, is it's caring a lot about what the world thinks. Now, I've got a slide of a couple things, maybe in first person, a couple ways of thinking that can help depict and, and describe what maybe some cares of this world could be. They'll be up here on the screen. A couple examples would be if blank, fill in the blank, doesn't happen, then my life is ruined. If I don't make all A's, or if I don't get married in the time frame that I want to get married in, or if I don't get this job, or I don't get this specific situation, or I don't have this comfort, then my life is ruined could be an example of a way to think. Other things have a lot to do with the way other people do it. Do, do people think blank or this thing that I'm doing or a part of is cool? Or what can I do to get these people to accept me? Or how many likes will I get if I post blank? Okay, these are ways of thinking that I would encourage you to, again, they're imperfect, but it's maybe some signs, if you constantly think about things like this, it's maybe a sign that the cares of this world are trying to creep in and poke you and choke out some fruit. Now, I'm going to give you guys maybe two or three different maybe ideas of some action points or uh, things. Or some are super practical, some are a little broad that you can do to respond to kind of overcome this thorn. So here's three ideas to overcome this, these cares of the world. One, follow what Scripture says, and that is cast your cares and your anxieties on the Lord. So it's important for us not to stuff everything we care about, even the things we feel anxious about, because we don't want to agree with them fully, but we don't want to stuff them. We want to tell God the things that we feel anxious about. And that scripture says, because God cares about us. Isn't that great? Okay, another thing is obsess about what God thinks and what he cares about. So instead of wondering what this person or that person or this group or that group will think about me, just say, Lord, what do you think? What do you think about this? 
What do you care about? I just, uh, let me speak to the college students for a second. Similar to what I said at the beginning. Guys, it is so unpopular to give everything to Jesus in college. It's so unpopular. Even amongst some Christian circles, you're, you're going to be tempted to just be mocked if you give him everything. And man, I just want to urge you. I'm going to speak to all of us because it's not just to college students. Woo, let's not care what the world thinks. Let's obsess about what he thinks about us because when we stand before him one day, everyone else's opinion is not going to matter that much. And last point is very simple. If you want to overcome the cares of this world, point number three, delete all of your social media. Okay, moving on. <laughs> deceitfulness of riches. I'm serious, but I'm not going to go into that right now. All right, number two, deceitfulness of riches. Okay, here's what I mean by this. It's all the things that money promises, but it cannot give you. Okay, here's a couple ways to think about it or a couple potential deceits of riches. Some of them you need to think about for a second. Ready? It'll be on the screen. One is if I make this much money, then I will be happier. You know, put the dollar amount there. Or I need to be careful with my money now just in case I don't have much later. Another one, God must be leading me to this job because it's offering me the most money. I need you to think about that for a second. He could be but you need to still submit to him. Another one, the ultimate sign of God's favor over my life is financial blessing and increase. Now, financial blessing and increase could be a blessing and a sign of God's favor, but it is not the primary. As I think about the word of God, I think about, and think about the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life. If you're actually operating in love, joy, peace, and all these other things, whoo, man, God's doing something in you. Think about your relationships. Think about just... <laughs> These types of things, and don't deceive yourself into thinking that that's the only way that God expresses his love and favor for you. Let's keep going. How to overcome this thorn. There's three ideas. Number one, give your money away. Give your money away. Okay? So, and I love, there's a verse in, um, I think it's Matthew, yeah, Matthew chapter 6. It's connected to the heart, which we're talking about. It's loving God with all of our heart. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I love that connection. There's a unique connection, and he mentions it in this parable as well. Something about money connected with the fruitfulness and vibrancy of our heart. When we give things to God, I love the way that he broke things down in Scripture. He gave us plenty of Scriptures about generosity. He gave us an amazing principle called the tithe. And there's just so many. If you, if you don't like the tithe, then don't read the New Testament because <laughs> they go even much more than the tithe, okay? Some of you are like, eh, I don't like the tithe. It's, it's old and religious. And it's like, no, 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 no. If you read Acts chapter 2 or chapter 4, they gave everything away, all right? I just love these little things that are woven within Scripture. If you're not doing any of those things or giving is new, if you give your money away, start doing it today because it will help guard your heart from some thorns that might want to choke in. Another thing is um, find your joy and contentment outside of anything related to your financial state. Okay, what are some things that you could be thankful for, content in, find joy in, that have nothing to do with how much money is in your bank account? And focus your energy and your thoughts on that. Start thanking God for those things. And another practical to overcome this thorn is seek counsel from trusted believers before making big financial decisions. It's a way to engage the body of Christ to help you not be deceived into thinking that just because there's money signs or, or a dollar amount behind something that I must do it. So just seek counsel. Sometimes he totally leads you to take a job that pays a lot of money. Praise the Lord. Okay, but that needs to be um, done wisely and carefully. All right, last thorn band. Go ahead and come on up. Man, this last one. Here we go. You ready? Desires for other things. Woo! 
Did you notice how broad that statement is? (laughs) Desires for other things. And what I mean by that is simply desiring other things more than desiring Jesus. Now, I'm going to have some interesting things on the screen here of just ways to think about this. But this first-person thoughts that if these kind of things are creeping in, then maybe there's a little bit of this desire for other things, Thorn, choking out some stuff. Here's a couple things on the screen. Hopefully, it'll make sense. All right, first, first one. Come on. I believe the gospel. I go to church, and I don't do that many bad things. What else really is there? What, what else is there anyways to my relationship with God? I think what that shows is that, like, we think it's just something to check off. This relationship with God is endlessly deep, and there's so much more of him. <laughs> You're already distracted by the second one, I see. <laughs> oh, my gosh, this girl or this guy just smiled at me. They definitely are my future spouse. <laughs> Listen, I've been there, all right? But it's this distraction of like, oh, I'm constantly consumed with thinking about this deep desire. And listen, the desire for marriage is totally great. It's fine. It's from God. But we just don't want it to choke out our love, our passion, our vibrancy for the Lord. It is not a good first thing. It is not a good priority. It is secondary to a lot of other things. A couple of us, hey, blank is too enjoyable and feels too good to not have it in my life. We want to be people that are willing just to say, Lord, you can have it. Oh, here's the funny one. Wow, this worship set is really long. <laughs> Aren't you bored already, everybody, that we keep singing? Or time with God every day. TWJ means time with Jesus. For how long? Isn't that a little excessive? There's things that will creep in, and it's pressure to the world. It's desire for other things that make us feel like, man, we don't want to give God too much. Well, hold on, guys. He wants all. And we are weak in this. We're all weak. But how do we overcome this thorn? couple things. First one, ask him to be the one thing you desire most. Put a couple of scriptures on there. Psalm 27, 4, David says, one thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek, that I may dwell in his house and behold or gaze upon his beauty and his glory. Like, make that your prayer. Psalm 73, 25 says, whom have I in heaven but you, and there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My encouragement with these verses is make them your prayer. You might not always feel that that's true for you, but make them your prayer. Another thing to help you overcome the desire for other things, number two, is embrace regular fasting. I'll give a teaching maybe on fasting later on, but that's something that's helped me. I'm going to set aside something that is a desire that's totally fine and replace it with seeking the Lord more. It's so helpful. Now, you'll, you'll, you'll fail I failed this past week, tried to fast, and then I was snacking in the kitchen over there. But anyways, made it to about 10.30. It was awesome, 10.30 a.m. <laughs> but I'm signing up again this week <laughs> to embrace fasting in my life. Maybe I'll make it to noon. Who knows? All right, last but not least, and this is how we'll close up. To overcome this thorn, just, just simply, I don't think of this word as condemning, but repent, relieving your first love. Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, is this amazing communication from Jesus to a church. And he said, y'all are doing a lot of things well, but I have this against you. You have left your first love. Next verse, verse 5 says, therefore repent for losing your first love. And come back to me. 
So here's how we'd like to close. I'm going to put some reflection questions on the screen. I know we're going long here, but I want to encourage you just to engage just for a few more minutes because I think this is one of the most important parts of this morning is how are you going to respond to what God's doing? There's several questions that are going to pop up here on the screen, and I want you to take two or three minutes. Think about these. Write them down if your journal is open. Type them into your notes app on your phone. But let's take a minute to respond, and then... um, The band will lead us in a song, and we'll have the opportunity to pray for one another. So God, come and speak to us right now, Lord, as we are closing out and highlight the things you want to highlight to us. We want to be a people that give you all. In Jesus' name. Respond to the Lord.